Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Cup of Joy, the podcast. I'm your host, Heidi B, and on this show, we'll talk truth on tough topics to help you normalize and navigate the junk and invite you to choose epic joy on the daily. Because let's be honest, life gets to be a whole lot of both. We'll jam on beliefs, breakups, body image, and so much more to create breakthroughs and become the truest you. Like my mama B always says, put a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Let's start. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cup of Joy, the podcast. So excited to bring another episode in your direction. Today, I have a very special guest with you. In fact, I met this amazing soul just this week. We didn't know each other at all. And in just a brief sharing, a couple of minutes together, I realized very quickly that this is someone that I needed to have on Cup of Joy, the podcast. So Nicole Murphy is a passionate, passionate woman about the power of story and the role that it plays in the, in the lives of others. With Almost a decade of experience working in media, Nicole has interviewed hundreds of people to create nonfiction content. She's worked on dramatic movie sets, experienced, very experienced in working at news stations, and is currently an instructor at a college as well. She leads a college student media course in, at this time. Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Hello, Heidi. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited because you have your own outlet that you share a lot of stories on. Um, what's it called again? The My Best Worst Day. Yes. Yes. yes it's, an, it's an Instagram live interview series that I started uh, just recently, but yes. Oh my gosh. Um, Nicole intrigued me in more ways than one, like I said earlier, but when she told me about the best worst day live on Instagram, I was like, I got to check this out. This is so cool. And it sounded so much like similarities to what we yes. do here on cup of joy, which is let's normalize some of the things that people go through in their everyday lives and talk about like what happens on the other side when we have these like realizations and personal growth. And so I love your story today because you guys, we are going to be talking about so many different things, but really getting into the nitty gritty of kind of like having this, I call it like the workaholic turns into the wellness. Like we're in this workaholic, go, go, go rush mentality. This is what life needs to be like. And then somehow you've managed to navigate your way into a more wellness, well-being um, space for yourself. So I think that your, I know your story is so relevant to so many of our listeners in lots of different ways. So let's just start from the beginning with you and your story, kind of like the junk part of it. Where do you want to take us today? I guess I'll start, I'll start at, at, at a good, a good spot. So I was in my early twenties, people had said for years, you know, Nicole, you need to go to post-secondary school. You know, you're too smart to not do something more. And I was serving, I was a dance teacher. I worked, um, I worked at a before and after school care program. I was a nanny. So I had lots of odd ends and jobs and I really liked it. Um, however, I did feel a shift. Like I needed, there was something more for me. And so I sat, I was sitting on my couch one day and I just said, you know, what am I supposed to do? I said that out loud. I sat in the silence and I asked like, what am I supposed to do? Mm. And a little boy said, maybe you'd like making documentaries. Maybe you'd like, uh, you know, working in film and television. And there was, okay, I did go to an art school. I will say I did go to an art school. I was a dance teacher. I was exposed to television arts, 
but it was not on my radar screen. Mm-hmm. I have never seen myself and still to this day, I'm not technically, I don't have a high technical IQ. It's not like I'm very good at that naturally. So the little voice came and I really think because I started to look up programs right away online, I found a radio and television program in my city and I applied and they take, you know, 18 people a semester. So it's a harder program to get into. If I wouldn't have taken action right then, the fear would have taken over for sure. And, and, and voices came in like, what are you doing? You're 23, 24. You're going to be a older student in this class. You, you know, you were in high school before PowerPoint presentations, and now we've already <laughs> surpassed PowerPoint presentations. So like, what are you going to do? You're horrible at writing, you know, all of that inner dialogue. I'm just even impressed that you even took the time to a ask out loud. That is a step that feels very advanced in this space. And then to listen immediately and take action. I think those two things alone are things that a lot of people dismiss instantly. Right. So please continue. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and I will say there was other family um, issues happening at the time. And this just popped into my head as I was talking there was a healthy level, (laughs) maybe an unhealthy level. There was pain in my life at the time. Mm. So when there's pain, although I don't wish it on anybody, it does push us to search. It does push us to seek. And so in my search and my seeking, um, I ended up in a radio television program and going in, I was like, I want to hit the ground running. I want to get in and get out. It's a quick program, two years, but I got there and the relationships I made and um, the experiences I had there, it really was priceless. And looking back, I mean, I don't regret, you don't, it, it's not good to live in regret if that's the way to put it, like I don't live there, but my anxiety stole a lot of presence when I was there in the past. Mm. So high achieving, as probably a lot of your listeners are, high achieving, go in, I'm top of my class, I'm, I'm doing really well, I get a job working in news while in school mm. on the morning show during the semesters, and I hit the ground running, I got an internship, and after my internship, I was hired, I was producing, which means Produce has such a, a wide range of, of what it means, but I was seeking out stories and pitching them and then going out with a, with a camera operator, cinematographer to interview and shoot these nonfiction segments. So I did about 80 of those in wow. uh, probably two years, a year to two years. Wow. 80. And they're like three to six minutes long as I was also uh, working and sometimes interning. So working for free on movie set, saying yes to everything. I took a vacation to go to the Toronto Film Festival. So everything was about work. And I don't think, again, I don't know if I would change it. However, other things in my life took a backseat, you know, my physical health. Um, Mm -hmm. I was making more money than I'd made, but I was just as broke. So my financial health Um, and so on and so forth. So three years after school, I get a $100,000 grant to make a web series. And I get hired at the school I graduated from to run their student media center. Mm. Two huge dreams. And for anybody who's ever had the belief, I'll be happy when, 
I just get that big grant. So then my peers see how good I am. I have all this money and a hundred grand in, in television is not that much, but a um, hundred grand sounds like a lot to, uh, to a lot of people. And it was at that time for me. So I get these two really big opportunities and I do them at the same time. And I get really, really sick. <laughs> not mm. some people's stories are like they're on death, death's doorstep. It wasn't like that. But I got physically, I got a cold in January. I remember this. I got a cold in January. And I, after coming back from a trip, I was allergic to my cat from there on out. And I had that cold for like seven months. Oh, wow. Like I, it, it really developed in an autoimmune situation. Mm. But um, yeah, so that's kind of, that is where the pinnacle was. That's where I was like, there's something off. I have all my dreams. People would say, you've got success, Nicole. And I am physically ill and more stressed out than I had ever been. Yeah. I, I love that. Like once I get to this place, then it's, it's what we call the, if, if then, if, when, then game, if I get this, yeah. then I'll do that instead of recognizing the holistic picture of sometimes people achieve high financial success, but then they don't ever have enough time or anyone to spend their time, their, their money with or on. Right. So really what are some of the, what what are some of the things that you did to get out of these workaholic habits? Okay. So still a work in in progress. Um, Some uh, seeds that were planted actually quite early on. So I feel grateful is, you know, you don't need to work a nine to five job. You don't need to, you can have your own company. You can be freelance. And so I was already in a place where I made my own schedule for the most part, which has its also downside because then you have to learn how to manage your time. Yes, that's a big one for a lot of people to understand is just owning your own business doesn't mean that you suddenly have no responsibilities or you can just like fly off, go wherever, vacation, whatever you want. Yes, and... Yes. And you have to now be responsible for navigating your schedule, which this was the biggest, probably one of the biggest lessons I learned stepping into my own coaching business was, whoa, no one's telling me what to do. I got to figure out what I'm supposed to do here. Right. You're not just waiting for emails to pour in and your boss to tell you the next step or the next meeting to go to. You have to step up and figure out what those steps are. Exactly. And I often, cause I interview people for a living. So I'm asking people questions all the time. And it's a big red flag for me when I say to someone like, what would you do if you could do anything? And they're like, oh, I would go sit on a beach. Mm. Okay. You would do that for about 10 to 14 days and then you'd be bored. And then you'd have to figure out what you truly want to do and what you're called to do. So I had already made the leap to Nav like managing my own schedule, if that's the way to put it, but I didn't have the skill set. And mm. so I had the dream of I want to be a freelance person. But as you said, now it's like, oh, okay, now what? What does what that is- look like? Yeah. And so there when when you've you haven't built those skills, uh, I think that added actually to the hecticness of what was going on in my life for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Gosh, it's it like you said, it's something that we're constantly working on, right? We're constantly working on pursuing a, a better life for ourselves. And sometimes we don't even know like what we what we want for ourselves. That can be a big step in it in it in itself. But um, you mentioned a little bit kind of in like our pre-interview, this idea of tying your identity to achievement. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, for sure. And 
I was just reading recently by the holistic psychologist, childhood archetypes. And one of them is the overachiever. And I've dabbled in all of the archetypes that are really funny, actually. I was like, oh, I've managed to be, you know, the life of the party, the overachiever, the underachiever, the caretaker, <laughs> the protector. Like I've played all those archetypes to meet my own needs. Um, but the overachiever, essentially, you're tying your identity to and your to the validation outside yourself, to, to others seeing you a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I think this is so prevalent in our culture. Um, it doesn't even need to be someone who, who thinks an overachiever. It's the person who, and the, I'm going to say, say disclaimer, these things are all great things. Having a house is a great thing. Having a family is a great thing. Having an amazing job is a great thing. Having a Porsche is a great thing. But if you do it from the intent of seeking validation to be seen worthy outside of yourself, that is where you're going to feel the void the most. Mm. And so an overachiever for me was very much based in uh, performance for others. It was very much, can I be enough for others? Can I, and again, serving people makes your life so full. But when you're serving from a place of seeking validation, you're now the Michael Scott boss from the office. I don't know. Yes. That's a great analogy. Yes. I just, when I watched that show, I was like, Oh frick, that's me. And, and um, if you're seeking validation, cause you want to be loved and liked that and, and serving people from that, that's um, that causes problems. Yeah. And why you, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Why do we get into this, these identities and attachments? Um, you talked a little bit about kind of like this addiction to chaos. Talk a little bit about that space. It's so important. Okay. Another disclaimer. This is what I believe. This is what I've searched out. Test it, see if it resonates with you and then look for yourself. But what I've come to believe, it is a lot to do with our childhoods. It's a lot to do with experiences we've had and for me I was like my parents had very traumatic childhoods I didn't uh but there's like a I think of an atomic bomb when an atomic bomb goes off there's waves mm-hmm. and I see that as like the generation so I had the wave of what my parents experienced and I love them we are so close now and um honestly I've always adored my parents However, I was dealing with their storylines, their narratives from their families. And so I think we uh, tie our identities to stuff to feel some type of footing, to feel, uh, I mean, as human beings, it's scary to be a human being. If you're not tying to some certainty, who are you? Why are you here? What's going on? It can be very uncomfortable. So I think that from what I understand in the research I've been doing, mostly we wear those archetypes and we tie our identities to things to meet our own needs from, you know, needs that weren't necessarily met as children. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And can you talk a little bit about how did you shift out of this identity and attachment? The attachment, I think is a really big piece of it too. How did you shift out of the attachment of this achievement need necessity into where you're at now. I stopped and I did much what I did at the beginning of my media career. I sat, you have to listen to the pain. Mm. We have so many things in our culture. And again, none of these things are, you know, quote unquote bad. We have so much access to distraction. Mm -hmm. And so to sit with yourself and I have, I've done this through my life 
Um, maybe that's my saving grace. I've done this throughout my life at different times. You have to sit and listen and feel. And um, again, any people can explore this how they will. I am a spiritual person. I believe in God. And for me, the big shift really came when I started tying my identity to, to literally just being a child of God. Mm -hmm. So whether that's, you see it as being of source of being of the universe, if you tie your identity to pretty much anything else, it can be taken away from you. Mm -hmm. I've done Mm -hmm. interviews with women who are amazing nurses, amazing mothers, amazing people, and then they get sick. And they can't do the thing that they tied their identity to. Right. And they're lost. Right. I've done interviews with reform pimps who they did not see themselves as a bad person at all. And then they have this awakening of letting go of tying their identity to what they believed was normalized for them growing up, which was the world of being a pimp. And whoa. So I've only seen change personally in the interviews I've done when people really loosen those ties of identity on pretty much everything here <laughs> that you can tie your identity to. You can. And, and I think we work so hard to tie ourselves to identities. It's like how we introduce ourselves, how we find our significance, what makes us worthy, what yes. makes like that we validate ourselves in so many ways by saying, I am this, I've done this, I associate with this. And it kind of gives us these badges of honor, if you will, like it puts us in a place and time to try to signify to people that we are enough. Um, I think of like simple examples in the over, in the overachiever of, and tell me how this lands. Cause I'm not a mom. I don't think you're a mom. Maybe you are. Okay. And, but I have a lot of friends who are, and I have a niece and a nephew. So close to moms in that way. And it's like, I know mothers who will go out of their way, right, to go above and beyond, as some people would label it, to make extraordinary experiences for special teacher days and classroom days and really to go above and beyond. Now, it's, it's, it's one thing to do that just because it makes you really happy. You love doing it. You're the artsy, craftsy mom and you love creating things and you want to drop that in and it's it makes your kids happy all the things but the moment when you do all these things and you're feeling stressed out and it's another thing to do on your plate but you have to keep up with the other parents and show face or make the teacher like you more or whatever stories we tell ourselves right that's where I think we slide into everyday overachiever what's your take on that yeah totally now Again, I do want to say people might get triggered by me saying something like I'm a child of God or that I'm tying my identity to source universe because that's really intangible. It's, it's more tangible to tie your identity to being a mom. It's more tangible to tie your identity to being a, a, an amazing friend or for me, it was an amazing leader. Here's a joke. My students, because I, I led a team of students for the last four years now, but even when I was in school, I had a nickname as mom, and it's not the same. I'm, I'm not saying that that is what's going on, but there's a saying I have with my dad now. It's, are you taking when you're giving? And when we slip into that needing to keep up with the Joneses, when we slip into that 
um, giving from a place of needing to keep face, you're actually taking, you're not doing it unconditionally. You're not doing it from a certain spirit. You're doing it because actually quite selfishly, it's like mar- being a martyr, mm-hmm. right? It's, yeah. it's not from the right spirit. And therefore you're actually, it's not really giving. And I think that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Are you giving just to give? And it stops there. Like I'm giving just to give. I think what you said earlier too is so important. And that is what's the intention behind everything that I'm doing. I always come back to that asking myself, okay, what's the intention behind anything? What's the intention behind consumption? What's the intention behind, um, behind going out for this job? What's the intention behind pursuing anything that we do in life? What's my intention behind this? And that will really show you a lot about yourself when we dive into intentions. Totally. And I say to my students too, because I go around and I say, wave a magic wand. What are you doing in your media career? Tell me your wildest dream. And then I present an idea to them. I say, are you seeking that for validation? Like for love? Or is it something that's inside of you? Like a desire? It's like from love. And I personally believe it's healthier to just own it. If you're like, I want to be a famous influencer because like, I want to be famous and get love. Okay. Live there for a while. Experience that. So it's the consciousness that's really important. So even as you say, like asking your intent, I don't think a lot of people really sit with that and ask themselves, what's my intent for doing this for my child's school? What's my intent for serving my wife or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or whatever? What's my intent? And then just get honest and, and be okay with where you're at. Yes. And then you'll see, well, I believe what you see, because I've experienced it is when you're not filling that void, you need to switch the intent. <laughs> you need to change the spirit at which you do things. And then the void is a different experience. Yeah. I am going to repeat what you just said. I even wrote it down because this is such a great nugget is asking, is this for love or from love? Is this for love or is this from love? That is a powerful, powerful statement. Thank you for that. And it's not a Nicole original. I heard it from one of my coaches, Lindsay Nadler. And I'm not sure if she made it up or if it's from somewhere else, but it's such a simple way to really navigate life. And, and it, and we know we can feel it. Am I doing this for love or from love? Yeah. Ah. Some people will have to sit with that because when you've been living for love for so long, it's hard to know what the other side feels like, but that's, I think, why we're here. We're here to experience contrast and to get clear on, I would argue, that specific thing. Contrast and clarity. That's so beautiful. So beautiful. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about, and I love this, the fear of being joyful. Mm. Yes. Let's, let's dive into that. What did you mean by people have a fear of being joyful? I was like, Ooh, you know, I'm all about joy. Let's talk about it. Yeah. I, Brene Brown has talked about this before. Um, and I've, I've, I've experienced it, you know, when I feel joy from, as someone who comes from a, maybe a more hypervigilant uh, thinking pattern of what could go wrong, like a producer in itself, someone who's doing television or media producing is always looking for the problems that can happen. When you're in joy, it feels so vulnerable Mm. because you don't see when the shoe's going to drop. You don't like anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Like we have all these sayings and it's like, 
being in joy is like being suspended. I'm feeling that in my body right now. It's like being suspended and it can feel really uncomfortable. It can feel really uncomfortable, especially if you've experienced anxiety your whole life, especially if you've experienced that hypervigilance, that stress, that overachieving, that go, 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 go. Being in peace, being in joy, Mm. that's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's funny because it's the exact thing that we think that we want, but then once we get quote unquote there, even though there is no there, once we feel it, then we, we instantly believe that it's going to be fleeting. Oh yes. gosh. I, f- I finally am feeling joyful. I'm finally feeling it. Okay. This won't last long. I better just quick soak it all up, like suck it through the straw and done. Right. I get that hit of it because it's probably going to go away. And we make these assumptions that it can't possibly be this good for very long. So just like quick, take it in, take the snapshot and on and off with it. Right. Totally. Can I get deep with you for a second? My ideas. Yes. So I wrote this a few years ago. I'm still kind of working on it. I actually think our fear of joy is connected to our fear of death. And why I believe this is if you kind of have a shitty life, maybe dying isn't so bad. <laughs> so, right? Okay, so like, I don't know if that makes sense, but if you have a truly connected, joyful life, the consciousness that it's, it is going away, as we know it, I, I don't necessarily believe in, you know, obviously I believe in a higher power, but having a beautiful, connective, unbelievable life, now there's higher stakes with death. If you have a pretty mm-hmm. miserable, shitty life, maybe death is welcomed a little bit more. <laughs> you know what though? I, I, I love this because I have a, a really good friend of mine and her biggest fear was growing up. And one of the things that she realized as she went through some personal development things is that her fear of growing up was actually a fear of death. The, yes. the more that I grow up, the faster I'm going to die. And I don't want to die because I am in love with my life. And once she realized that it's okay to be in love with your life right now without having to fear anything else, just enjoy it to the fullest for as long as you've got it. Um, it be, it became a, a moment of peace and ease instead of this, like, I have to fear it. If I don't almost like, if I don't fear it, it's going to come faster. Yeah. So my fear is this fall, fall safe, or that's probably the wrong word. You're good with words. It's just like, like it's, it's this, a safety net. It's a safety yes. net of this not happening. But if I don't it, fear it, then, it, then it's probably going to happen. Yeah. And I think it's also tied to like, we don't want to like, we don't want to look stupid as people. Like we don't want to look like, oh, we didn't see that coming. I've done this a lot in my life. I try to like figure things out before they happen so that if it does happen, I've somehow figured it out, but it's a, it's robbing you. Like this, the fear and feeling the fear like she is, is actually robbing you from truly living and being present. Mm -hmm. And that's what's, that's what's mind blowing is the more you give way to fear of death, the the less likely you are to live. And that's, yeah. I kind of think of this in the way of a relationship, like a, um, a love relationship, a romantic relationship, if you will. And it takes a lot of risk to go into a romantic relationship. And we don't always see it like that because it all just kind of happens. And we're wrapped up in the emotions of like the ooey gooey and the love and all that stuff. 
but actually it's the, one of the most vulnerable things that we can do is be in love in connection, in love with someone else fully and completely, because what if it gets taken away? Yeah. There's a lot of risk there. And so that is what makes a heartache and heartbreak from a loss, be it a breakup or a divorce or a, or an actual death when you're in love with someone, it makes it so painful because you've put everything on the line. It's all there. You're all in. You're not a little bit in with your heart. You're all in with your heart. So if we went all in with our joy all the time, there's a higher risk than just sitting in fear 50%. Like, oh, I'll just go 50% fear, 50% joy. That's safer, you know? And, and, and that's the lie too. As someone who I'm single, so again, take or leave what I'm saying. When you go 50-50 in a relationship, we've seen this, we've seen people in these relationships, we've been in them. The irony is that that doesn't work either. So right. it's like, so we do these things to protect ourselves and it's actually harming ourselves even more. And that's why human beings are so fascinating. And that's why I love story because I see these storylines playing out and yeah, it's so yeah. it's so. Yeah, I love what you just said. It kind of makes it come full circle in that um, like it all ends up playing out the way that that it's going to play out in that you started out in this like workaholic hustle, hustle. We do that to protect ourselves, right? Because if I'm the achiever, then I'll be received or seen in a certain light and then I'll be liked or I'll get the job. Or I'll get... And so we're constantly protecting ourselves by overdoing it, overworking it, overachieving it. And then it actually robs us of our wellness and our well-being instead of just allowing the well-being to be there and everything else collectively works around it. Yeah. And I, I've had some thoughts on this lately because I've really noticed those patterns come up in me again. If you're in a go, 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 you don't have to feel in the same way. Yeah. So it's really, I think, and I mean, the work that you do with breath work and stuff, it's a fear of feeling right? So if you keep yourself busy and people depending on you constantly, you don't need to sit with yourself. You don't need to feel the range of emotion. You get to just play out your storyline of, I need to be there for people. And that, you know, anxious, overwhelmed feeling. And you don't have to sit with like, oh man, is this going to, it's going to be good enough. (laughs) Is this going to be, you know, am I good enough? Yeah. And then it becomes this patterning, right? You talked, you hit on it a little bit earlier with me, becomes this patterning of this adrenaline rush, right? Yes. Talk a little bit about that. Okay. So I've been looking into this for a little bit now. Essentially, um, Dr. Joe Dispenza explains this really well. I think Samantha Skelly does too. It's like your cells, your body takes on the chemical reaction of what you grew up in, essentially. Like physical chemicals that are released in your body coat the cells and now you have an adrenaline addiction Mm -hmm. so when you're not in that so instead of a comfort zone maybe a um it's like where you feel the familiarity it's the the devil you know versus the devil you don't know um i think we we get addicted to the adrenaline we get addicted to that that emotion emotional cycle that we know Mm -hmm. instead of the ones that we don't know and um, yeah, it's like chaos addiction. Yeah. So when we don't, when we don't know or experience peace or joy regularly, we probably, I think we don't think we can achieve in that emotional state. 
we only feel the anxiety that's in the past shown us that we can achieve an anxiety. And so we think the path to achievement is through anxiety. Right. Now I want to, I want to say anxiety itself isn't a bad thing. Like feeling like things are important, nerves, that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. None of this, there's no bad emotions, but how long you want, do you want to live in that? Mm-hmm. And if you find yourself living in anxiety, the majority of the time or overwhelmed the majority of the time, that's a sign that you might be addicted to it. Mm, If you find that it just clicks into like, oh, Nicole, (laughs) you haven't done your marking. There's a little anxiety or right. Cause I teach a course, you you know, oh, Nicole, you haven't launched that thing. You know that you want to launch that thing. That's different. That's just giving you a little nudge. But if you're living in it, I'll tell you, I'll tell a quick story that really, um, it showed me, a friend called me. She's an amazing writer and she found this application online to get a grant. And she calls me and she had written so much of a a memoir, a book. And she's like, okay, this application just asked for 2000 words. And I was like, okay, so how many words have you written? Like way more than that. Oh, okay. She's like, I think I need to, I think I need to rewrite the, I think I need to write new 2000 words to apply for this grant. And so I kind of talked her through it and coached it. And we realized in the past, she's always like on the deadline with grants. She's always stressing. She's always anxious. So even though a grant came up where she had everything prepared, she's had to put it in that old pattern was of, of that's how you gain success was popping up. Right. Right. I was, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I almost shared a share. I can't share because of coaching private client privilege. I've talked to my friend about doing (laughs) it. I always stop myself going like, oh, I really want to share that. That's a great example, but then that doesn't work. But I have heard so, so many times people share these, these similar examples in everyday life where it's like, we feel like we are so used to, and this is an example of mine is in my old job, my corporate nine to five. And I still have to check myself these days, right? Always evolving. But I would constantly find myself feeling like I needed to do 50 tasks before things were complete. And then when I had a day that I didn't have 50 tasks, I only had 40 or 35. I was like, oh my gosh, like I didn't even do anything today. It was really hard to give myself credit for anything because I was constantly feeling like I needed to be in a state of stress or anxiety or get the adrenaline kick or the hit, right? That you're talking about. My body was using that sensation association of going work. You're only actually, your work only counts when your body feels like this at five, six, seven o'clock, right? And if it doesn't, then you're going to be like, oh my gosh, am I about to lose my job? Is, is there something that I missed? Yes. I should be doing more. Then we create a second layer of panic and chaos and overwhelm to try to override the first place that we're at. And it just layers and layers and layers because that's what we're used to. That's what we're accustomed to. A hundred percent. And and I will say to those listening, that still happens to me. It's not, it's not like a quit, like I'm not, sometimes at night I'm like, oh, same as you. I'm like, I don't have anything I need to do right now. Oh, okay. Uh, that feels uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. I'm not achieving enough. So, but I, I've integrated, um, actually I'm going to go back a bit. So something that I did start doing was l- literally seeing 
self-development as work that kind of helped me transition I was literally just going to say that I was literally gonna gonna say um one of the practices that I use to you said sit with yourself sit with yourself sit with yourself and it so feels in our body is so difficult to do that but really we need to change the narrative it's unfamiliar and you use the word familiar and I love that it's like the chaos the adrenaline rush feels so familiar so what we need to do is we need to take more time in the unfamiliar your territory to expand our capacity and make that discomfort or unfamiliarity more familiar. And one of the ways that I've done this in the past is um, one of my coaches said, I want you to just go sit and stare at a wall, a blank wall, not even with wallpaper, just go or lay down and stare at the wall. I'm like, I can't do that. Like what's going to happen? And then I did it for two hours and so much unraveled in my body. It was insane. I was crying. I was laughing. I was kind of moving back and forth, but I literally just laid down, put a blanket over me and didn't fall asleep because sleep can be an avoider or a protector unless we're actually tired, right? Or our body needs it. But I told myself like your intention today is to have more self-discovery just by sitting in stillness. And when I did that, it unlocked so many powerful things. So I shared that with a client of mine last year. And she said, Heidi, that's so unproductive. So I love what you just said, because what I told her was, what if sitting and staring at the wall was the most productive thing that you did all day? Yeah. And it was a game changer. We just need to shift the way that we view things, that stillness is productive that movement is productive, that sleep is productive, that turning our phones off is productive, right? Yes. yes. And, and to build on that, for me, if anyone else is listening, I hear stories all the time of people putting their physical health on the back burner. That seems to be something that very commonly goes. Right. And that's what happened to me. I had to research and I'm somebody who I love science. I like evidence. It's like I had to research constantly. The people who are the most productive in the world take care of their body the best. The people who are the happiest and able to show up for others the, the most take care of their body the best. And I had to read that in whatever, you know, multiple books before it started to click where I was like, if I'm going to tie my identity, even though I, I'm careful on that, to being a leader and a role model, well, Here's all the evidence that the best role models take care of their physical health. What do I want for those that I lead? If I don't wish my life on them, then I'm not role modeling it to the best of my ability. Mm. Um, and of course they can, I don't need them to do what I do, but I'm definitely going to do my best to show them what's important to yes. me and what I believe creates uh, a healthy life. So for me, it was actually having to repeat over and over and look into different ways. Like the best leaders take care of all areas of their life. Really the best role models, those who are the most successful, those are who are the most productive, take breaks to go for walks, to move, to stretch, to jump on their trampoline to. Yes. Did I tell you I have a mini trampoline? Cause I do. I saw it and I also have one. Oh, you saw it. Yeah. It's the best. I really think that every single adult needs to have a mini trampoline because and then you have to use it of course it can't just sit there like the old treadmill that doesn't get you know that that becomes a closet but um we we do have to implement these things and I love the perspective on 
the way in which we treat our bodies. Because I have so many women that I work with that are connected to healing the relationship to food in their body. It's a big part of the work that I do. I struggled with it for over two decades, but the biggest pivot is repositioning the way in which our vessel is. So rather than looking at it from this lens of, it has to look appear externally a certain way to receive that achievement and validation, right? Because that's going external. I have to look this way, not for me, I have to look this way for someone else or something else. And anybody who tries to debate that, you're lying to yourself. You are, right? Because we can we can appreciate the way that our bodies look. That's okay. That's great too. But so often we try to uh, subscribe to these social norms of like, we need to look like the woman on the outside of the uh, women's health magazine. And it's just totally. not it. But if we can take it the way that you just positioned it and go, what is it that I desire? If I desire to be a leader, if I desire to be whatever it is that you desire to, to become, to be seen as, if that is the way in which we fuel and take care of and nourish our internal bodies, and that is what is proven to create successful people, and we should get to that in a minute, the definition of success, right? So yeah. success, if success looks like this, and I think success is going to make me happy, then I get to take care of this vessel. And I know that to be true because when my gut is firing from all, all, all sides, all directions, and I'm sitting on a podcast or I'm sitting on a client call, I can't do my best work. I've messed it up over there. When my heart is not is racing from caffeine that I've had, I can't be fully present in this space. All these different things, right? The different foods and, and things that get into our mind and make us not as focused or aware or give us headaches or give us uh, body aches or things like that. We can trick ourselves to say, oh, it's just probably this other thing. It's not digesting today. But the reality is it's this culmination of ways that we fuel our body or we don't that add up to these spaces of wellness for ourselves. So such a, such a great way to look at that. Yeah. And, and again, it just boils down to from love or for love. Are you taking care of your body for love or are you taking it from love? And uh, if, if you live a life from love, you are able to serve others in a, and contribute in a much uh, more whole way. Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about success, shall we? Let's talk about yeah. success because I think yeah. a lot of people uh, attach their success to happiness. Yes. But I think mm. something that a lot of folks don't do is determine what their own personal definition of success is, yeah. what it looks like, and what it feels like. So can you talk a little bit about what was your definition of success before and what is your definition of success now? So we've all heard the, I think it was John Lennon, the, you know, when I was in school, the teacher asked me, what do I want to be when I grow up? And I said, happy, right? Mm-hmm. We've heard the story and, and we would all say, I want to be happy. Most people I talk to say they want to be happy. I want to be happy, yeah. That's success is when you're happy. What is happiness? Now, the best definition I've heard is by a man named Sean Aker, who studied happiness at Harvard for 12 years. And he said, happiness is the joy you feel striving for your potential. Mm. The joy you feel striving for your potential. Mm. In that definition, there's no arrival. So success, I don't, I think it's important to get into 
get into touch, get in touch with what those little desires are that are coming up, that stillness. Um, I create a life plan every year where I just brainstorm what I want to experience. And then I follow that and I'm okay to change my mind. So what I think most people do to try to achieve success is by that outward validation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then they don't feel happy because they still are living out of a place of arrival. Once I get there, oof, then mm-hmm. I'll be happy and I'll be successful. I think true success, where I'm at right now is, hmm, what do I think success is? For me, it's being able to wake up and have agency over my time and emotions and uh, contribute to the world in a meaningful way. And when I say agency over my time and emotions, what I mean is essentially not getting stuck in that rat race feeling. Yeah. Now, the other day I woke up with the most sore neck I've ever experienced in my life. I was telling my dad this the other day. I woke up with the sorest neck and I, instead of freaking out, cause I had all these things planned that day, I said, Hmm, okay. Maybe today's learn how to heal your neck day. So I did a meditation and I kid you not, I did this chakra alignment meditation and it still hurt right after. But then I said, okay, well maybe I'm just not being flexible enough in my life. Instantly my neck pain was gone. And I'm not, I don't say this to like exaggerate instantly. It was gone. I was like, Oh, I can move my neck. Okay. So that was my lesson that day. So it's not a control agency. It's just that agency of like, everything's working for me. And, and that's to me a success. If you can live your life truly knowing how loved you are and that everything is working for you, it doesn't, it doesn't get better than that. And contributing back to people. Oh, yes. Yeah. Long-winded answer. I don't know. If I loved that answer. Slice that up a bit. <laughs> that answer was perfect. It was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I think it's, it's so important that we, we get to know what that looks like on our end so that we can be witness to it every day. And it doesn't have to be like you said, I love that there's not this end date that it doesn't end here. Once I get there, then I am successful. Or once I have the house that I've always dreamed up, then I'm successful. It, it never ends right there. It's just ongoing. So if you can have these tidbits of success in your def- in your definition of success that are continuously ongoing, one of my favorite ones is I'm successful at the end of each day if I can find celebration and gratitude in my life. Yes. That to me is a really powerful definition of success because I can literally look at every day and go, can I celebrate something? And some days, honestly, my ego goes, no, you're not going to, it comes in and I'm very aware of it. And some days I just let it be. And some days I go, we're going to search a little bit deeper. We're going to take a minute. Um, but, but we can really decide. And, And another one is that I love to do is another measure for success for me is did I elevate my energy today? Was I able mm. to elevate my energy today? And was I able to, in that, give somebody else an elevation in theirs? I'm like yes. fully committed in my career to raise the vibration of the human experience while we're on this planet. That's like yes. a huge mission of mine. So if I can help contribute to the elevated energy of myself and others, that to me feels like a really successful day. And you yeah, can and as you're talking, I'm realizing like success is a choice, but there's like two sides of a coin. So it's like, I find a lot of people, they don't stretch into their potential because they've kind of, for lack, am I allowed to swear on this or no? Are you Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go for in it. My, 
themselves. They mind fuck themselves into like, I don't actually want to be rich. I'm just good where I'm at. Now, uh-huh. I don't think success is money. I don't think that's the key. Um, but I think people mind fuck themselves and downplay what they really want to experience because they don't believe it's possible for them. So then they start to skew what success likes success looks like in their life. Um, but success is a choice. Being Having a successful mindset is a choice every day. And you kind of touched on that with choosing to celebrate, be grateful. Um, and, and yeah. I love, I love talking, you talking about people shifting their, their definitions of success or even expectations or what it looks like to actually fit into it versus actually just be with it. Yes. Right. Like, oh, well, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much there. And that's the ego talking. It's just going, we'll squeeze in right over here. If we just take away the big dreams or the hopes or the possibilities for ourselves, we'll just, there we go. We can say that we're successful. Yeah. Um, and then there's these limiting, then you're literally limiting yourself from even further expansion in this area. Exactly. So there's two kind of things people do to mind fuck themselves. They mind fuck themselves by getting the, the nice car and the house and the family and the image and whatever else that look, the great job to be like, I'm successful, but they reach there and they don't feel fulfillment. So then mm-hmm. like they're, they're not feeling successful. And then you have the other end of the the spectrum where it's like underachievement to and then a mind fuck that oh I'm successful because I got up today that that for someone will be a success I don't think um everybody's curriculum in life is different so I'm not meaning to downplay like for somebody one day getting up and brushing their teeth could be a huge success absolutely that absolutely However, there's a lot, we have to, we have to be self-reflective. We have to dig into those layers of beliefs else. It's very easy to, to mess with yourself, really. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. I wonder your perspective on this is it's kind of off topic, but who cares? People love, love hearing all that you have to say. (laughs) Um, What about this concept of blocking your success from fear of success. Have you heard of this? Like, oh, I actually feel paralyzed because I'm afraid I'm going to be so successful. Okay. I have a very strong opinion on this because I watched it. Um, I watched another level to this. So this other, what's her name? Carolyn Mass. See, I take in information all the time. She said, we're not as scared of failure. We're not as scared of success. We're scared of consciousness. And, and I want to stretch in, we're scared to really be seen. Yeah. So it's not a fear of success. Like we like the idea of like, Ooh, I'm successful. But when you get to a certain place where you're conscious, there's no going back. Mm. You can't, the mind fucking that you do to yourself, it starts to not, you can't do it. So the things that used to comfort you, I've experienced this, the things that used to comfort and distract me do not work anymore. Ooh. And I'm stuck with myself. Yes. So I don't, I, I, that's where I'm at right now. And I could change my mind, but I think it's, it's really, we're scared. We're not scared of being successful. We're scared of light. We're scared of that, like shining bright where you can't. Yeah. 
I think you said like shining the light where you can't hide anymore, right? Yeah. Ooh, so you're that, in this emotional... that's not going to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, you're in this emotional tornado. And what you used to go to is like watching TV or eating or booze or drugs. And like you go to it and you're still in the emotional tornado now. Yes. 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 So then yes, you're, yes. that's very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's very unnerving. Yeah. I, I've heard the phrase used a lot like, new level, new devil. So a lot of people think that as they become successful, then, okay, then all of that other stuff that I was dealing with before will dissipate. It won't be an issue anymore. And while part of that may be true, there may be things that trickle off. Maybe I'm not great with technology right now. And maybe as I become more financially successful, I can hire people to take care of that for me. It doesn't have to be as big of a burden, right? However, now you reach a new level. I hire this technology person. Now I'm responsible for a human being, not just my computer. So we up level, new level, new devil. It just continues to join us on our journey as we move through. It doesn't go away. Okay. I'm so, so glad you brought that up because this is actually what I wanted to really point, um, pinpoint on this. I thought when I got that grant that was quite big for you know where I was at in my career and 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 really I'm, I'm downplaying a bit there were people who've been in in the industry for decades who applied for the grant and didn't get it yeah right or whatever so it was 100 it ended up being $140,000 I thought oh that's going to be easier now that was so much harder because I didn't work on the simple skills I didn't budget I didn't know how to budget I didn't know accounting like the things I didn't work on in my personal life ended up bleeding into my business. And it was a huge wake up call because now, as you said, people are now depending on me. I'm in charge of people's paychecks. Mm-hmm. I'm in charge of people who have kids and families. Mm-hmm. For those, I really want to gently, gently give this message for those who think their life will be better when they get more money. It will be if you've practiced the skills to take care of money and it will, you'll level up. I'm so happy I had that experience. It pushed me into practicing new things, but with anything, for those who think they need that romantic relationship to be happy. Well, if you haven't practiced prop, like healthy connection with yourself, that's going to be overwhelming. And I've seen people self-sabotage because they're not used to that. If you think, you know, if you had the nice body, you'd finally be happy. Well, if you haven't worked on the self-esteem stuff, so this idea that as soon as the external is fixed, the internal will be fixed, it's, it's outdated. It needs to be, you know, mm-hmm. and on the flip side, there is evidence that shows, you know, when people come out of the poverty line, like there are elements Absolutely. of improvement for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love this. Oh, this has been such an incredible conversation. I think that you and I probably need to just have a show and talk about topics in life like every single week. This is so good. I love your perspective on anything. You are such an amazing wealth of knowledge, clearly from all the past experiences that you've had personally, but also professionally and all the all the amazing tidbits that you've taken in and embodied are just so beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. Appreciate you. you. I always ask folks to two questions. Actually, before that, let's talk about how people can get more of you in their lives. What are you working on? How can they find you? How can they get you? We'll put it all in the show notes, but let's talk a little bit about it. 
Awesome. Okay. Instagram, Nicole S. Murphy, uh, which I know you'll have a link to. Right now, I am creating a course and launching it called Confidence Creating Content. Because for me, what I really had to do in order to get to a place of being able to show up and be authentic and have the courage to show my thoughts and and get out there was that self-development part. So what we're going to do in this course is we're going to talk about writing, the basics of writing. We're going to do interviewing skills. We're going to tap on how do you have an idea and then create a plan to take it to execution? Um, Because I've done a lot of that. But I'm going to integrate it with a lot of self-development, self-awareness, um, clarity around why are you doing this? Like we talked about, what intent do you have? Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then I'll probably move into creating a course, a next level of consciousness, creating content. Ah. So more of what we're talking about here. So the best thing to do is to follow me on Instagram. I do videos. I do my own series, which I'm hopefully going to book you to come on. Yes, um, we'll do it. And uh, to get started that way. Yeah. So amazing. The, the course that you're creating actually sounds, uh, I know you specialize in media outlets, but also I think anybody who's running their own business or writing their own copy or their own content, that could be a really, really powerful thing for, for people in that space as well. Yeah. That is actually, that's where I created it because what I've noticed straight up is people have learned the scripting. First, you talk to your client, you say you, you touch on the pain points, you then give the solution and you move. And that script is amazing. If you don't show up vulnerably, it doesn't hit. Yes, exactly. If you don't don't show up as yourself and it, it doesn't hit in the same way. So I'm really passionate about helping people share their stories from a place of healing, not from like a wounding. So from a place of love, mm-hmm. I think that our personal stories and our lives are so, so, so powerful that I think we need more people sharing. So yeah. that is my intent is people who either are working for other businesses, because often they don't know how to interview their superior to get the good story. Right. They don't know. And that's, again, that's what I'm, I excel at is let's get the deeper story. Let's see who this person really is. Let's have that connect with others. So if you're working for another company as a media professional, you need to learn how to interview and find those hooks. If you have your own business and you're writing social media posts, you need to interview yourself and find those hooks. Yeah. If you want to um, show up on camera more, there's skills there. But again, it really boils down to when you become more authentic and more yourself, you're more magnetic and you will attract more clients, more, uh, if you're selling products, you'll be able to sell more content yeah. is really so important. Yeah. Oh, it's everything. It's everything. It oh, I love it. I love it so much. You guys make sure you're following, following Nicole and being connected with her. She is such a great resource. So I'm going to close with the. Go ahead. Were you going to say something? I was going to say one thing. This is what's really astonishing to me is working in media for a decade. The people I see the most closed off online or can be are the people who actually have been professional media um, or media professionals. And for me, because I was quite closed off for a while, there's this fear that if you say something wrong, you're not going to get that gig. You're not going to get that job. And what I really want to inspire my students and those who uh, sign up for these courses or watch me online is there's not really like blacklisting doesn't really exist right now. Cancel culture is going on. I get that. But when you show up 
authentically, you're going to attract people to you. And the gatekeepers have been taken away in a lot of ways. So there's no need for that fear. Like you can show up and, and I'm still working through that because I'm launching this course and I'm scared in it. But I know in my soul that people people showing up more authentically and who, as who they really are is the key to a lot of amazing changes in this world. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Authenticity is everything and relationships too, right? It's like when I'm working with somebody, I don't want to just work with everyone everywhere. I want somebody who enjoys being in my energy and whose energy I enjoy being in. It's an equal exchange. So it's really important that we show up fully full wholeheartedly ourselves in standing in our truth, fully expressed. Otherwise somebody's signing up for something that's not you. Exactly. It happens in romantic relationships too. It's like <laughs> yeah. we try to put on all these masks and act the way and look the way and be the way that we think our partner wants. And then we wonder why five, 10, 15, 25 years down the road, when we start acting like our true, fully expressed, authentic self, why they go, who are you? We don't get along anymore. I've been like this my whole life. Oh, well, you, you weren't acting like it around that person. So always come to the table with all that you are, with all that you got. And if someone is a right fit for you, be it a romantic relationship or a friendship or a collaboration or uh, whatever that looks like, just allow it, allow it to happen with you in perfect timing. That's just it. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. So good. So good. All right. So I want you to answer these two questions and you can take a pass always, but the two questions I ask everybody on cup of joy are what do you love most about you? Mm. Oh, my heart. That's an easy one. I love my heart and how much I care about people. And of course I was a Michael Scott at one point, because when you have a big heart and you want people to love you so much, it can change into that. But I love my heart and that is definitely my favorite part of myself. Oh, beautiful. And then the last question is easy. What does joy feel like to you? You get a little bit emotional. Joy feels like completely connected to myself, to, <laughs> I heard the other day, Gus, God, universe, source, and to others wow. and, and, and to my body. And it, it feels, I, I will be honest, I find joy sometimes very uncomfortable because I often cry with joy and yeah. so I'll be walking and I'll start seeing beautiful families and and when I'm truly joyful it feels like being seen mm. and that is scary it feels like I can't hide at all when I'm truly joyful it's like the energy is just exuding from me and that's what joy feels like for me. Ooh, I felt that right there in my solar plexus when you said that it's so good so good Oh, Nicole, thank you so much for your time today. I just want to ask our listeners that if they have any questions or topics that they want us to jam on to tap into us on our social media, let us know. We're happy to come together and, and share or answer any questions that you guys might have. And if you absolutely love this episode, please take a screenshot and share it with your friends. It would mean the world to us. So thanks for coming on the show today, Nicole. Appreciate you so, so much. Oh my goodness. This was so fun. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you love what you heard, please take a quick second to screenshot this episode and share it with someone that you know would love it. Connecting with you brings sunshine to my soul. So let's continue the conversation on Instagram at joyfullybe. Drop me a message, question, or share your own junk to joy story with me. Remember that joy is contagious. 
you can help me spread it by leaving a little buzz, aka a review, on Apple Podcast. To learn more about Cup of Joy the Podcast and my soulful services, visit cupofjoythepodcast.com. Chat soon!